Let's pray. Eternal triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you and we praise you for the gift of your word, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword separating bone from marrow. We pray that it would speak clearly to us today in a way that penetrates our minds and our hearts, in a way that compels us to live as you would have us to live and helps us to draw near to your heart. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. As we've moved through this series on worship, I've emphasized that there are four movements in worship. No matter how else we arrange worship, there are four basic things that we do every time we gather. First, we gather together. And that is no neutral act, it's no assumed thing, but there's form to how we gather together. And then the next thing that we do is we hear the Word of God proclaimed. By reading Scripture and by hearing it expounded through preaching, we listen to the Word of God, and then we respond. Uh, That's the third movement of worship is response to God. Uh, God speaks, and then we respond to Him, and then we are sent forth. That's the fourth movement of worship. So this week we're moving from talking about the gathering from being brought together to listening to the Word of God be proclaimed. As we've talked about this, I've told you that worship is the most important thing, the most significant thing that we do as humans. And therefore, worshiping rightly, that is making sure our lives of worship are oriented exclusively towards the triune God and offering ourselves in ways that are pleasing to the triune God, is our most important task. This is because of the way that the first ten commandments are structured, where the first four relate to how we follow the Lord and love Him and live under His commands. And then also by the way that Jesus describes the two great commandments, that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. And and then the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So as we talked about gathering, we talked about how we remember that we are a people on the move that have not yet arrived at the destination that God has set before us. And we've talked about how we are aligned and begin to move together as the body of Christ. So now over the next couple of weeks, we're going to ask, what does it mean to listen to the Word of God? And this listening is paired in the fourfold order with response. Gathering and sending forth on either end are paired together, and proclamation and response are paired together in the middle. Worship is always a call and response. We embody this in small ways, like when we do a responsive reading. The preacher reads one thing and the congregation reads the other. And also in the big movements of worship, that God speaks and then we respond almost as if God is breathing out and breathing in our response. So when we worship, we know that we worship a God who speaks. We worship a God who invites us to listen, who gives us ears to hear, who speaks in a way that by His Spirit, despite our sin, we can understand. God speaks in a way that we can hear. The candles that we place on the table each week that we light are a visual reminder of how God illumines the Word for us, that God's Word is a light unto our feet and a lamp for our path. 
And we pray each week before the reading of Scripture, and I usually pray again before beginning the sermon, as an auditory reminder and confession of how God's speech works. That for us to understand, we depend on God's work around us and in us. So I invite you now to hear the words of Scripture. First from Psalm 119, verses 97 through 112. Second from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Hear this word from Psalm 19. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is always with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your decrees are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for your precept, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil in order to keep your word. I do not turn away from your ordinances, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to me, to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to observe your righteous ordinances. I'm severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your ordinances. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your decrees are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. The reflection on the law continues as the psalmist says, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Psalm 119 has this long, resounding reflection on the glory of the law of the Lord. I invite you to hear this word now from Paul's second letter to Timothy. We'll start in verse 12 and we'll go through verse 17. Indeed, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts find acceptance in your sight, Almighty Father, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So what is Scripture? What is the Bible? What is the Word of God? It's something for us to love and enjoy. It's something for us to ingest and digest something for us to meditate on. 
Is it the only way that God speaks to us? Certainly not. But it is the most reliable way. One of my favorite things that I've learned from Eugene Peterson about Scripture is that when Scripture uses the word meditate, the Hebrew word there is hagah, and that doesn't really matter. You don't need to remember that. But what it means is both to growl and to meditate. And the kind of growl that is intended is the kind of growl that a lion would offer over its prey as it is satisfied eating its meal. It's the kind of growl or groan of satisfaction that you might give when you hear, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's an invitation to savor and to revel. When we think of meditate, we think that you need to go to a library or you need to be in a quiet spot with your legs crossed and your hands up and some breathing exercises. And that's a fine way to meditate on Scripture if you need to. But Psalm 119, along with manifold other passages in Scripture, give us a wonderful example of what it looks like to meditate on the law. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate, I savor it all day long. It makes me wise. It gives me understanding more than other experiences could or learning from other books. It makes me obedient. And obedience makes me more understanding. Don't miss that basic feature either. Sometimes we think that if we're just smart enough, that's the thing that drives our understanding. But through and through, Scripture seems to think that our faithfulness actually enables us to see and hear God more clearly. And so in the midst of our sin, the only way that we hear and see and understand God is by the grace offered to us in Jesus Christ. This is one of the primary themes throughout the Gospel of Mark, that no one understands what's going on, not even the disciples fully, until after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Scripture makes us wise. It gives us understanding even greater than our teachers. It makes us obedient, and in a way that gives us even further understanding. It shows us the way that we ought to go, and it gives us life. One of the most fascinating stories in Scripture is the story of the temptation of Jesus where Satan comes to him in the wilderness after he has fasted for 40 days and Satan offers him the invitation, the temptation to turn stone into bread. And Jesus says, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself as the Word of God, feasts on the Word of God. And then as the temptations continue, it turns out that Satan can quote Scripture too out of context in a way that might make Jesus lean in the wrong way. Which means that when we pay attention to Scripture, we must be careful not to let it be taken out of context to drive us, but it must be received with the whole teaching of Scripture and the whole teaching of the church. Scripture gives life. It shows us the way in which we ought to go. It is our heritage. It is our inheritance. It is what makes us who we are. So I ask you today, do you love Scripture? Do you love it like you love a good steak or a juicy hamburger? 
were the first tomato off the vine in the summertime? Do you love it like sweet honey in a world where they didn't have Cokes and sugar cane or maple syrup? Do you enjoy it like a cup of hot chocolate by a fire in the wintertime or like watermelon on the 4th of July? Do you see Scripture for the gift that it is to us? Or when you think about the law of the Lord, do you maybe think it's a bit of a buzzkill? It tells you the things that you ought not to do, that it's kind of like summer reading. You know that you're supposed to do it, but really it's going to take somebody putting the screws to you to make sure it gets done. Maybe that was just me. It's reading. It's boring. And if it's the law, it's rules. Aren't rules the worst? Scripture is a gift. Scripture is a gift because it lets God's words become a part of who we are. It becomes a part of who we are when it's written on our hearts, as Jeremiah talks about. When we post it on our door frames and on our wrists and on our foreheads, as we talked about several weeks ago with the Shema. When it begins to infiltrate our souls and our characters and shape us and reform us into God's image, Scripture is a beautiful thing. So I wonder, is Scripture your satisfaction all day long? For most of us, it isn't. For some of us, we have to work, so that's not even a realistic possibility for us. But for some of us, we're at home and have a fair amount of free time most of the day. And either way, we have time that's not oriented towards work or other activities. So if you say that you don't have time to read Scripture, I wonder if you've had time to scroll through Facebook or to watch your favorite TV show or to talk on the phone. Much of the time, we don't take the time to engage in Scripture because we don't think that it's as good as it says it is. And we have a lot of other inputs shaping us. For some of us, it's the 24-hour news cycle, whichever your favorite flavor of that might be. For some of us, it's daytime and nighttime television with its own travails. For some of us, it's sports and sports commentators who constantly fill our ears and shape our lives and our attention more than the words of God. We have a lot of other things that we direct our attention toward, other things that we listen to and let speak into our lives. And if that convicts you, I want to ask you what you're going to do about it. Are you going to set a time each day to read? Are you going to set an alarm on your phone or some other marker to remind you that before a meal or after a meal, you're going to take time to read some scripture before you let yourself watch your favorite show? And if you want to read, do you have a plan? If not, you'll probably lose steam fairly quickly. And if you want to make a plan to read, I'm happy to talk to you. If you don't love Scripture, pray that God will give you a deep desire for it. And keep praying for that until God answers your prayer. I say that as a precursor because we have a tremendous gift in the amount of access that we have to Scripture. Most of us own Bibles, and most of us know how to read. 
If you don't own a Bible, you can access it on your smartphone or the internet or anywhere. For a long time, people didn't have access to a book where they could carry around all 66 books of Scripture. Before the printing press, everything had to be handwritten. It was expensive to pay somebody to write by hand this much. And it wasn't always that we had something that had multiple pages that we could bind together with one cover. That was a pretty incredible invention called the Codex. You didn't know this was advanced technology. But it changed things even more than the Kindle did. Because it made it possible to carry books around with us. Before that, things were on scrolls. It was hard to access what you needed. It was hard to carry a whole crate of scrolls with you wherever you needed to go. It's a gift that we have access to Scripture in our homes and everywhere we go. But Scripture isn't only intended for personal devotional use. It's also intended for public worship and for the shaping of the community in the life of faith. And Timothy makes that pretty clear as he talks about Scripture. In second, or Paul makes it pretty clear as he talks to Timothy about Scripture in chapter 3. He says, The world may be crazy, and if you keep following Jesus, you should expect it to be more and more so. You should expect to be persecuted if you're following Jesus faithfully. Which might mean that there are times where we Methodist preachers have served you poorly by letting you think that church is a place where you can come to hear sermons that make you feel good. Maybe we've lost a sense that the gospel is always dangerous. And certainly, we all know that the world is crazy right now. With imposters deceiving one another and trying to deceive us and being deceived, it seems to be getting worse and worse. And as he speaks to Timothy, he says, But you... Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, and remember from whom you learned it. Paul saying, I've taught you, and your faithful mother Timothy has taught you, and the other people in your synagogue that have taught you to study Scripture from the time you were born. All of the Scripture that you have encountered is an invitation to salvation in Jesus. So devotional reading is important, but as important, more important, is the teaching that has been once and for all delivered to the church. Because the danger in only reading alone is that we are limited by our perspective, and sometimes it's hard to tell if we're listening to the Holy Spirit or some other spirit as we read. But as we read in community, both with our local congregation and with people throughout the world as they bring their various perspectives and experiences to the text, and throughout time as we read people who've commented on Scripture, the saints through the ages, we begin to be more and more clear about what Scripture can mean and can't mean for us. This is the way that we engage Scripture as the Word of God in worship, And as we study together, so that we can know the love of Christ. It's when we learn from one another, living in community with each other, and with all of the saints through the ages, that we become good readers of Scripture. He says, remember who you've learned it from. 
not just the text itself, but the people and their stories and the faithfulness with which they taught you. How from childhood you've known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And this is really important because as Paul was writing, there was no New Testament yet. Paul's letters and the Gospels and Revelation and the other letters become the New Testament. But when Paul talks about the Scriptures being inspired, being God-breathed by the Holy Spirit, that's the Old Testament that he's speaking of. That's the Scriptures that Paul sees as authoritative that he is writing about. And despite what many Christians might tell you about the differences in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Paul thinks that all of the writings of the Old Testament point people to salvation in Jesus Christ. This is the nature of Scripture as we believe it in the United Methodist Church. That Scripture contains all things necessary for salvation. That means it doesn't contain the whole revelation of God. In fact, it acknowledges that within itself as John is bringing his gospel to a close. Uh, in the second to last chapter, he says, If I wrote down everything that Jesus did, the whole world would not be able to contain the volumes of the miracles and the teachings of Jesus. But this I give you that you may know that Jesus is the Messiah. It's not the whole revelation of God. God continues to speak. He continues to challenge his people. He didn't drop a book from heaven and leave us alone with it, but he continues to be at work in us. The same spirit that was there at its composition is the same spirit that was there in its duplication. The same spirit that was there as the church honed the New Testament. The same spirit that was there in translation. And the same spirit that is there as we read it together. The Bible is not basic instructions before leaving earth. It's not an instruction manual. It doesn't teach you to first do this and then do that. It is a means of grace. When I say that, what I mean is that the Bible is an invitation to know the Lord himself. Not just about him, but to enter into relationship with him, to abide in his presence, to know his power, to see how he has worked through the ages, and to encounter his promises that show us how he's going to work in the future. And then because of that, to let our lives be remade as he would have them be made. To read Scripture is to submit ourselves to the Lord who speaks through Scripture so that He can remake us. The Bible isn't basic instructions before leaving earth because salvation is not only a future reality, just as much as it is something available to us that we look forward to in the future, it is a present reality. When Jesus entered the earth, He was Emmanuel, God with us and he has left the holy spirit to abide with us you can have life with god now so what's scripture good for well timothy tells us it's good for teaching that is increasing our understanding about who god is and what god expects of us and who we are in light of god teaching you and I have something to learn. Scripture is good for reproof. This isn't a word that we use a whole lot, but one that we might use more is reprimand. It's good to tell you that you did something wrong. 
that you need to be convicted of sin. And Scripture is good for that, to examine your heart and help you to recognize where you've gone astray. But it doesn't leave you there in your guilt and shame. It's also good for correction. That is, you can be better, and Scripture can make you better when properly interpreted. Scripture is good for teaching because you can learn more. It's good for reproof because you need to be convicted of your sin. It can be good for correction because you can be better than you are right now. And it's good for training. That is, not just a short-term correction to tell you what you should do next time, but preparation to form your character just like practice in a sport so that you can be better consistently over the long haul. Scripture teaches us, it corrects us, it convicts us of sin, and it trains us into a different way of being. It does all of that so that you may be proficient and equipped for every good work, so that you may be competent in the things of God, equipped for every good work. Scripture brings us into connection with God. It lets us hear the words of God. And it does all of that so that, so that you and I know how to live in the world. It's inspired by God. That means that God did not handwrite every word, but inspired the authors who were writing it and continues to inspire us as readers so that we can hear what God has to say to us. The Bible is not a reference book. You can't just look up in the index what it says about a particular topic, look up a couple of verses and read those and know what God thinks definitively about something. There's almost never a right time for us to say, the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it. Because the Bible isn't only about belief And the Bible within itself has a rich conversation that's happening among many genres and across time about who God is and how we can understand Him. And God is much, much, much larger than we can imagine. And therefore, we read Scripture with humility, dependent entirely on the Holy Spirit to make it clear. The Bible isn't only about belief. The Bible has something to say about our lives. It requires interpretation in community. We need to be taught. We need to be told when we are wrong. We need to be corrected. and We need to be trained to live differently. By Scripture and by others in community reading Scripture with us. We need to hear the word of the Lord. It's a remarkable thing that we serve a God who speaks, who is concerned with the things of humans enough to reveal himself to us and make himself clear, and who by his Spirit, despite our sin and disobedience and distraction, makes us capable of tuning our ears to what he has to say. And when we listen, we hear God speaking to us the words of life, the words of salvation. We don't read them alone, but in community, and with the church in all times and at all places, and with the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was there when it was written and has made sure that it's gotten all the way to us 
and will make sure that we can understand it when we read of it. And all of this is part of a dialogue that God wants to maintain with us as He calls us and we respond, as His Word, His grace, His activity makes us proficient for every good work. Scripture draws us into the salvation that we find in Jesus Christ and invites us to live in His image, following Him step for step as His disciples. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank You for the gift of Your Word. We thank you that you've made it more available to us than it ever has been in history. We pray that you would help us to love the gift of your word. That we would desire it as much as we desire food or more. That we would seek it out, that we would savor it, that we would let it speak to us, that we would submit ourselves to it so that it can make us different. We pray, Lord, that your word would help us to see the world differently. We pray that it would help us to see you more clearly. We pray that it would help us to understand ourselves by your light. We pray that it would light our way so that our steps can be sure as we seek to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. Teach us, O Lord. Convict us of sin. Correct us and train us for righteousness. And do this by your word as we read it alone and in community together, that we might truly be your people, equipped for every good work that you are calling us to do. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the word made flesh, he who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen.